Cato started flapping again and lifted off, but as he did so, he went tumbling to the ground. Oh no! Patrick cried. Cato sat there on the ground, a bit dazed and shaken by the fall. A loud screech sounded from the heavens above as the eagle called down to Cato, Get up! Try again! Welcome to the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, with your hosts, Max, Liz, and Nigel. This podcast is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And I'm your narrator, Denny Brownlee. By the way, as you listen to this episode from the audiobook The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, keep in mind you can download your very own copy of it by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you'll find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, epicorderoftheseven.com. On today's episode, we'll bring you Chapter 15 from the audiobook The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key. But now, uh, may I introduce to you the epic, I mean epic animals, with whom I get the distinct honor and, quite frankly, the humble privilege of sharing a studio. Uh-oh. To bring my meager abilities in amongst these truly legendary characters. Oh boy, what's a lancer lad up to this team? Is truly a gift. Yes, three immortal representations of the animal kingdom... I hid the chocolate from him, so it is not that. ...who so far exceed the expectations one would normally place on the typical examples of their respective species. I'd say the old boy's attic is filled with fruit bats. No, mon ami, he is up to something. Ah, but then they are in no way typical. In fact, mere words fail to express the platitudes worthy of such truly amazing... All right, then pull the plug, lad. Ugh. What have we got in India with your your fancy words and such? What? Can't I give my best effort in giving you proper introductions that are in some way worthy of the caliber of animals that I am so privileged... Ah! There you go again! I'm afraid my canine colleague is right, old chap. Uh, You seem to have gone off the rails, as it were. But Nigel... No, monsieur. Nigel is right. Enough with the platitudes and... And the fancy stuff! Uh, we the fancy stuff. But, but, but... Don't you think I mean it? No. no. You don't think I'm sincere? No. no. Don't you trust me? No. You you really don't trust me? Um, well, well, I, well I, it depends trust. on how you look at it. Hmm. Trust is a big thing. For in today's episode, our baby eagle friend Cato needs to learn how to fly, and we'll hear him speak these words. If I'm going to learn to fly, I have to learn to trust. So today, we're going to play a little game of trust. I'm going to hold out my arms and have each of you leap into them. That is, if you trust me to catch you. So, who will take a chance? I shall step forward, for in our last episode you proved, sir, that you are indeed trustworthy to uh, catch me, as you hid me from that seemingly dreadful exterminator. So, uh, place me on the counter, and I shall fully trust you to catch me. All right, there you go, Nigel. Well, I'm ready when you are. Except uh, this one thing. Put on this little blindfold. <laughs> now look at that! A wee little mousy mask! Uh, now, now see here, this was not part of the deal at all. Don't you trust me? <sighs> Touché, my friend. All right, blindfold in place, here we go. And... Huzzah! Gotcha! <laughs> well done, Nigel. And you as well, sir. <laughs> okay, who's next? Um, 
I shall go next. Uh, oh. There, I am already up high, ready to jump down. Aye, lass, and if a non-so-lad misses, well, you can still land on your kitty feet then anyway. <laughs> Which is why we're not only blindfolding Liz. Oh dear, I cannot see. <laughs> I shall also require her to not jump, but to fall backwards into my arms. Excusez-moi? <laughs> uh, we kitties do not uh, fall backwards. Don't you trust me? Well, we, but... Uh... He's merely taking you out of your comfort zone, my pet. Uh, but he can catch you. Uh, trust me. <laughs> well, okay, but please be gentle, monsieur. Of course, Liz. Now, turn around. There you go. Now, lean back. Oh, mon ami, I am frightened. I am right here. I got gotcha. you. Well, oh, okay. Uh, viva la France! Gotcha! Ow! 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 Nails! Nails, Liz! Nails! Ow! 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 You did it! Uh-huh. Ow. Oh, dear. Did I do that? Uh, would you like a bandage, monsieur? <laughs> hey, you better bring the whole box, Liz. Uh, yeah, please. Okay, uh, Max, it's your turn. <laughs> I never said I'd play your game, then. Oh, come on, old chap. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. I agree, Moosey. This be for the birds. Hey, look, see me wee little legs. A scutty dog likes being low to the ground. Don't you trust me, Max? Well, it's just that... Well, I... Well, uh... Maybe not. I don't know. Well, anyway, we need to be telling the Kato story then. Huh? Go on to the next chapter then. Go on. All right. Chapter 15 Teaching Cato. Growing rays of sunlight poured into the room as Liz sat on the bed next to Patrick. He softly petted her as he searched for verses on eagles, as his uncle had suggested. He was waiting for sunrise to head out to check on Cato. Max and Nigel had stayed with Cato last night, making sure nothing got to him. While they were upset with the gruff eagle's treatment of Cato, Liz helped them realize that, since he couldn't push Cato physically from the nest, he would have to push him mentally from the ground. Cato was used to others doing everything for him, but now he needed to do things for himself. And as the eagle told him, he could either choose to be an orphan, remaining a victim of his circumstances, or he could choose to be an eagle and rise above those circumstances. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard? that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Patrick read from Isaiah 40. He flipped back in his Bible and read from Deuteronomy 32. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that hovers over its young, he spread his wings and caught them. He carried them on his pinions, Patrick closed his Bible. Uncle Langlou said an eagle can't carry its young if they fall, since they are too heavy. But here, God says 
He can. Oui, Siamaka carried the young nation of Israel when they were helpless, Liz meowed, referring to the text. Patrick sat up and pulled on his britches, thinking out loud, So God stirs up the nest as we grow to make things uncomfortable, so we'll want to fly. He put on his hat and smiled. But then he'll catch us if we fall. I'd say that makes him a better father than an eagle. He scratched Liz under the chin, picked up his fishing pole and gun, and headed out the door. Liz smiled, seeing the impact that Langlou, the young eagle, and scripture had on Patrick, helping him to understand God and life. Such life lessons were important in forming his character. But now other lessons would be added to the mix. Go help little Cato while I wait for your other Cato to arrive, my Henry. Today will be an important day. Patrick smiled when he saw his faithful dog Max lying on the bank of the creek next to the eagle. His back paws were spread behind him, and he rested his head on his front paws as he watched the eagle dipping his beak into the water. Hey, boy, Patrick said quietly so as not to startle the eagle. He squatted down next to Max and gave him a pat. He set his gun and his fishing pole on the rocks. You're the best dog I ever had. You watched our eagle all night. Here you go. Patrick handed Max some dried beef and a leftover biscuit. Max gobbled it up and wagged his tail. <laughs> Thanks, Letty. The eagle flapped his wings and squawked, I'm hungry. Patrick studied Cato while he baited his hook. I bet you're hungry, too. Let me see if I can catch you a fish. He threw his line into the creek, and the cork bobbed along the surface. We're going to have to get you off these rocks, little eagle, Patrick said, looking up at the trees. If you're going to learn to fly, you're going to need to start on the ground and work your way up. Uncle Langlou told me last night that baby eagles just hop in place on the nest when they start to learn to fly. Then they move to branches and hop from branch to branch to get used to the feeling of air under their wings. Since you can't start out in a nest, I figure you could at least start out on some low branches. Brilliant, Nigel cheered, chewing on an acorn. He was hiding behind a rock nearby. Hi, that'll work, Max said. He's a smart lad, Cato. Cato brightened. That doesn't sound hard or scary. Patrick held his pole and stood on the rock to spy out some potential trees with low-hanging branches. I'll go look for a good tree after I catch you a fish. Suddenly they heard a screech coming from the air and all looked up quickly. The bald eagle was diving toward the creek. Look! There's the eagle! Patrick announced excitedly, pointing to the sky. Aye, the jerky eagle, Max huffed. Cato's eyes were glued on the eagle. He watched as the big bird came in low to the creek and snatched up a fish from the water with his talons. He caught one! Cato cheered. Max grumbled to himself. For himself, I'm sure. The fish wriggled back and forth as the eagle rose to then make a wide circle over them. He's coming back! Patrick exclaimed, pointing at the eagle as he began a rapid descent toward them. Eat! The eagle screeched as he dropped the fish on the bank next to Cato. 
and learn. Patrick's jaw dropped. He must be your father, little eagle. Well, I'll be, Max remarked in a surprised, hushed tone. Liz will write. He really do care about the lad. Cato hopped over to the fish and clamped his talons over it while he tore into his breakfast. Tears filled his eyes as he realized the gruff eagle was going to help him after all. He had been tough yesterday to prod him on to try harder. I'm going to learn. I promise. If your father is going to feed you, it means I don't have to worry about that, Patrick said, wedging his fishing pole in between some rocks. Now to find you a good tree. Nigel scurried over to Max and whispered, Jolly good turn of events. That eagle isn't as bad as we thought after all. Max nodded. Aye, the eagle lad came through. As Patrick walked along the tree line by the creek, a pair of eyes followed him from behind a thicket on the other bank. Bonjour, mon ami, Liz greeted Clary as she arrived at Studley on horseback. She was once again the courier delivering mail from London. Clary looked around to see if the humans were about and then got down from her horse to speak with the petite cat. Hi, Liz. I'm here with your book and letters from Gilliman and David Henry. How goes it with little Cato? Born! Max and Nigel spent last night with him, and now Patrick is going to check on him. I thought you might come today, so have stayed behind to see the response to these letters, Liz explained. Nigel brought the local eagle down to speak with Cato, but he was quite stern. Cato needed to be pushed to want to learn how to fly and how to become an eagle. But, Clary, I wonder if he can learn to fly without the heights and the winds to teach him. Couldn't you simply carry him up to the eagle's nest while you are here? Hmm. Lifting Cato up from the ground would ultimately only keep him there, Clary answered. This eagle has an extraordinary destiny in front of him and must learn in extraordinary ways to overcome the hardships he has experienced. Patrick will help him more than any of us, so trust what the Maker has allowed to happen in young Cato's life, and trust your Henry as well. Liz smiled. As usual, you have stored up my imagination with intrigue for what is to come. Clary kissed Liz on the head. For now, enjoy what is to come today with these letters. She held up the letters and the package from Gilliman and winked at Liz. You coming? But of course, I would not miss this for the world, Liz replied, following Clary up the path to the house. What's the latest news from David? Sarah asked as she and John looked through the mail. Liz jumped up on a chair next to her. You will not believe this. David saw Mr. Gilliman at the theater while attending a performance of the play Cato by Joseph Addison. It was magnifique, Liz meowed. She grinned to herself. If these humans only knew, she had been there too. How uncanny, Sarah marveled, petting Liz. Liz seems just as surprised as we are. I'm not familiar with this play. Uh, do you know of it? I haven't seen it, but it was shown in London long before I left Scotland for America, John answered, scanning David's letter. 
David says the play continues to be wildly popular in London and he was there for a special performance honoring Mr. Alexander Pope, who wrote the prologue. John dropped his hands to his lap. Hmm, Mr. Pope also translated the Iliad and the Odyssey. He glanced over at his bookshelf, realizing he had never shared those books with his boys. What else does he say? Sarah asked. John resumed reading the letter. Let's see. He says the play has also been performed here in America. Uh, Mr. Benjamin Franklin has even printed copies for Mr. William Parks, owner of the Virginia Gazette, who has them for sale in Williamsburg. He raised his eyebrows and pursed his lips. Did you know that David worked with Mr. Franklin when he was in London as a journeyman printer? I'm sure David never realized Mr. Franklin would become such a success in Philadelphia. Indeed! What a small world! Sarah exclaimed. Liz's eyes grew wide. David Henry knows Benjamin Franklin? I did not know this. David said the play portrays the heroic Roman patriot Cato in a way that people in our day and age can truly grasp. He encourages us to get a copy of the play ourselves. He goes on to say he hopes we are all well and sends his fond regards. How lovely to hear from David, shared Sarah, picking up the package from Gilliman. She removed the attached letter and handed it to John. I'm not sure who this is from. Liz's eyes danced with excitement as John opened the sealed letter. He held it up and rustled it in the air. Now we have a letter from Mr. Gilliman in London, John Henry exclaimed to Sarah. He scanned the contents of the letter with his finger. He concurs that he saw David at the Theatre Royal. How extraordinary that both letters arrived on the same day. Liz stifled a giggle. <laughs> if you only knew, monsieur. Mr. Gilliman writes, I was pleased to hear that young Master Patrick is practicing his fiddle with great determination. Your lad has potential. From what I gather, he seems to have a most tenacious memory. Your cousin shared that you studied at King's College in Aberdeen. Uh, may I assume that you will impart your wealth of knowledge in schooling, young Patrick? Uh, to that end, I enclose one of my favorite works for his study that includes the subject of Cato, upon which the play was drawn. I trust he will practice his Plutarch with as much vigor as his fiddle. John walked over to Sarah. What book did he send, my dear? Sarah held up the book and then handed it to her husband. Plutarch's Lives, Volume 2. What a kind gift from that kind gentleman. Aye, most kind indeed. John walked over to his bookcase to scan the spines of books on the shelves. He stopped at Plutarch's Lives, Volume 1. How fortuitous! I only had 23 of the 46 lives for study. Oui, now you have a complete set of Plutarch. Uh, compliments of Le Petit Prince, Liz meowed. He paused and turned to look at Sarah. I have so much to offer our boys, if they'll choose to embrace it. What do you think about my tutoring Patrick and William at home, withdrawing them from school? Sarah smiled and stood up to go hug her husband. I can think of no one better to give them the education they need. John smiled and kissed Sarah on the head. I don't know what path either of the boys will take in life, 
Studley meets our needs, but I won't be able to produce enough to send the boys to university. I've tried to teach them farming, but ye and I both know it's not what I do best. And farming may not be what William and Patrick are called to do, Sarah added. But if you give them a strong education, they'll figure out their own paths with time. Agreed. John pulled a Latin book from the shelf and blew off the dust. I'll begin with this. I don't think Patrick will shed any tears about leaving school. Sarah laughed and tapped the Latin book. He won't shed tears about leaving the common school, but I'm sure he'll shed a few when he starts being drilled by his new taskmaster. Non operai pretium est elite, <laughs> John said with a chuckle. <laughs> Nothing worthwhile comes easy. Veni, vidi, vici, Liz said with a coy grin and her curlicue tail lifted in the air as she sauntered out of the room. I came, I saw, I conquered. Patrick sat back down on the rocks next to Max while Cato finished his fish. I found a tree. Now to get him over to it. He frowned for a moment and looked at the young eagle. Then he looked at Max. I have an idea, boy. I need you to act like an eagle for a minute. He proceeded to take off his shirt. Max's eyes widened. What in the name of Pete is the lad thinking, Moosey? Nigel held out his upturned paws and shrugged his shoulders. All right, Max, put this on. Patrick proceeded to slip his shirt over Max's head and pulled it along Max's back. Patrick chuckled, lifting up the sleeves and making them fly on either side of Max. Look, little eagle, you're going to flap your wings like this. He put his hands under Max to lift him in the air. And you're going to fly. He zoomed Max around in midair with his shirt sleeves flying behind him. Nigel fell over backward laughing. <laughs> A flying Scotty! I never thought I'd ever see the day! Max grumbled, Watch it, Mosey! Cato giggled, but was watching and listening carefully to what Patrick was saying. But you're going to need to let me help you get up to a branch, Patrick continued. He set Max back down on the rocks and took the shirt off his back. Good boy! Thanks, Max! Max shook vigorously from head to tail. Uh, just doing me duty. Patrick held up the shirt and walked slowly over to Cato. I need you to trust me to pick you up, little eagle. Cato ruffled his feathers and flapped his wings, unsettled at the boy's approach. What do I do? The last time a human grabbed me, I ended up in a cage. Not to fear, young Cato. "'Nigel exhorted the nervous eagle. "'Our valiant Patrick will not harm you.' "'Steady, lad, do as he says,' added Max. "'You saw him carry me around in his shirt, "'so now you do the same.' "'A shadow passed overhead, "'and Cato looked up to see the eagle flying above him. "'If I'm going to learn to fly, "'I have to learn to trust.' "'He closed his eyes and swallowed back his fear.' He then sat calmly while Patrick approached. Easy, Patrick said. I'm not going to put you in the shirt. Just wrap it around you so I can hold you. He slowly approached Cato, who allowed him to gently drape his shirt over his back. The boy's heart was racing, and beads of sweat dripped down his face as he carefully put his hands under the eagle's chest. I've got you. 
Easy now. He slowly stood and held the bird close to his chest. I can't believe I'm actually holding a bald eagle, he murmured quietly under his breath. He wanted to scream with excitement. He walked over to the tree he had picked out, Max and Nigel following along. There was a large boulder next to the tree. All right, here we go, little eagle. I'm going to climb up this boulder so I can get you close to the lowest branch, explained Patrick. He carefully climbed in his bare feet up onto the boulder and stood where the branch was just over his head. He exhaled slowly, uncertain if this would work. Easy now. I'm going to put you up on the branch. Steady. Nigel clung to Max's front leg as they held their breath. Cato flapped his wings into Patrick's hair and eyes as the boy carefully placed him up on the branch. Patrick squinted as the eagle flapped and carefully pulled his shirt off the bird. "'You did it!' Max barked. Patrick balled up his shirt and held it to his mouth as he waited to see what the eagle would do. Cato's heart was racing as much as Patrick's. He flapped his wings, exhilarated to be just ten feet off the ground— "'I say, can you jump in place, dear boy?' Nigel shouted. "'I think so,' Cato replied with a squawk to Patrick's ears. He flapped his wings and used his legs to jump off the branch. He hovered for just a moment and then lighted back down on the branch. "'Bravo! You're doing it!' Nigel cheered with a fist of victory held high. "'That's a lad! Keep flapping!' encouraged Max. "'He's doing it! He's doing it!' doing it! Patrick exclaimed, grabbing either side of his head with his hands. He danced around on the boulder. Huzzah! He's doing it! See if you can hop up another branch, prodded Max. Cato set his face like flint and looked up at the next branch above him. He flapped and flapped and flapped and hovered in place, but couldn't lift himself any higher. He was getting tired. He stopped a moment to catch his breath. "'Did you see that, boy?' Patrick exclaimed, squatting down to give Max a big hug. "'The little eagle is trying to fly!' Cato started flapping again and lifted off, but as he did so, he went tumbling to the ground. "'Oh, no!' Patrick cried, quickly getting up to go check on the bird. "'Are you all right, lad?' Max barked, running around the side of the boulder. Cato sat there on the ground, a bit dazed and shaken by the fall. Memories of falling through the branches came rushing back to him, and for a moment he felt paralyzed. A loud screech sounded from the heavens above as the eagle called down to Cato, Get up! Try again! Cato turned his gaze at the soaring eagle modeling for him what he wanted to be, what he was meant to be. An eagle that doesn't use his wings has no purpose. The wise eagle's words came crashing into the young eagle's mind. Do you have what it takes to be an eagle? Are you willing to face the fear of falling in order to feel the thrill of soaring? The young eagle closed his eyes, took a deep breath, and then opened them. For the first time, with an angry determination he had not felt before. As Patrick reached out to once again put his shirt around the young bird, Cato squawked and flapped his wings furiously against him. No! Let me try! 
Patrick held his hands up and backed away. Easy. Cato flapped and jumped in place on the ground. He flapped and flapped until he got enough lift to land on the boulder. Exhausted, he stopped and folded his wings. But inside his heart was beaming. For the first time, he had lifted himself up from the ground. And that small beginning was enough to make him want to try again. Ah, oh, little Kato was so brave to keep trying. Indeed, a lesson for us all. Yeah, right, Maximilian Braveheart the Bruce? <sighs> you know, sometimes my full name can be real annoying. But uh, we need to, uh, uh, um, how about we go to Ginny's Corner then? Hmm, still doubting, huh? Uh, can we just uh, change the subject? Uh, hello, Miss Ginny? Max, I understand you have a question for me. Aye, lass. Now, you've written a whole bunch of books then, right? Uh, so you must have liked reading them too when you were a wee lass. I've always loved to read, and it was encouraged by my parents and by my school, of course, by my teachers. But I love to read on my own. Uh-huh. So what kind of books did you like when you were growing up? I don't think it'll come as any surprise to you about the books I loved most as a kid, because guess what they had in them? What? Talking animals. <laughs> and in fact, Charlotte's Web was one of my favorite books. I also loved Runaway Ralph. I loved Old Yeller. I loved Lyle the Crocodile. So books that involved talking animals were my favorite. <laughs> It's interesting to see that now the books that were my favorite are what I do in bringing out the talking animals because they've always made stories come alive to me and they're just so much fun. The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis and the fantasy component mixed with the fiction, mixed with the truths and values and things that I wanted to learn that were good for me to learn was a key thing that also poured into me. As I grew up, I fell in love with Christian historical fiction. One of my favorite authors that actually introduced me to it was a couple named Bodie and Brock Taney, and that is spelled T-H-O-E-N-E. And they wrote several historical fiction series about World War II, the Zion Chronicles and the Zion Covenant and I could not get enough of these books, and they just ignited a fire in me. It's like, oh, wow, what a neat way to learn history. I learned more about World War II in those books that I never learned in school, and it was because of those books that I was encouraged to go study the real history in history books and the History Channel and going on site to see where these things happen. Those books inspired that, and so that became another element that I knew I wanted to incorporate in my books. I wanted talking animals. I wanted good truths and values and God's truths, and I wanted history. Oh, merci, madame. I think I speak for my colleagues, too, when I say that uh, we, too, are glad you have talking animals. <laughs> Hi, Liz. In fact, you didn't even have to speak for me, because I can speak for myself. <laughs> well, then, Max, uh, are you ready to... Um, um, Miss Jenny, uh, while you're here, uh, why not tell all the listeners about the study guide? 
We're very thrilled to announce that it is available at epicorderoftheseven.com. Look under the Books tab, and you will see VRK Study Guide. This is a digital download, so you can print it off and start using it right away. It has three levels for lower, middle, or high school, or really kind of depending on their reading level. We have questions based on each chapter, and your hosts for the study guide are Nigel and Cato. So the mouse and the eagle will lead you through the voice, the revolution, and the key. Because of that, kids are going to be able to earn digital eagle feathers for every chapter guide that they complete. You'll also love this. We have a section called Nigel's Nuggets, and this is like extra fun activities to go along with the study guide that you can do and let your imagination soar. Now available for digital download at epicorderoftheseven.com. Under the Books tab, look for VRK Study Guide. You can even order it right now. Uh, Merci, Miss Jenny. What a wonderful way to have fun learning history. Uh, Now, Max, back to... Hold on, Liz. You're stalling, Max. Not so. Uh, uh, hit the music, lad, for it's time for another edition of Nigel's News Nuggets. Greetings. Nigel P. Monaco reporting from the newsroom with today's topic, trust. Oh, you got to be kidding. <laughs> I say, did you know that there are over 70 ways of defining the word trust? Uh, some are very business-oriented or have things to do with property holdings and other legal matters. But in fact, we make pledges of trust in everyday circumstances without consulting lawyers or contracts. If you even make the smallest promise, like, I'll take out the garbage, then there is no doubt someone else trusting that you will indeed take it out. And if you make such a promise and don't fulfill it, it stinks like the garbage. Because chances are, the other person no longer trusts you as much as they did before. It's been said many times, trust It's easy to lose and very difficult to regain. But we all fail, don't we? We all drop the ball, as it were, from time to time. So, is there anyone we can really trust? Well, indeed, we can trust the Maker. He tells us in Proverbs 3 to trust in Him with all your heart. And don't even rely on our own thinking. Why, we can't even fully trust ourselves. So, trust in the only one who is truly trustworthy, the Maker Himself. For Nigel's News Nuggets, I'm Nigel P. Monaco. Ah, thanks, Mosey, for proving me point. So, how can I trust a nouncer lad to catch me? Well, do you want to trust me? Aye. Do you think I'll do everything I possibly can to catch you? Aye. Will you let me prove it? (sighs) Okay, lad. But no blindfolds and no spinning around and such. And don't forget, I'm a wee bit heavier than Liz or Mosey. I've got you covered, Max. Now, come on, go ahead. Jump. You can do it! A stiff up a lip, old chap. Ah, uh, okay, here goes. Aye! Oh! <laughs> uh, you all right, lad? Uh, I, I, I think so. Uh, but Max, uh, uh, you did it. Aye, and you hung on to me too. And you broke me full. Yeah, I may have broken more than that. Uh, would you like some more bandages? Better Better bring bring the the whole whole box. box. Well, uh, I I shall take it home from here, as they say. So join us next time when we find out if Cato can indeed fly, and if our announcer chap can indeed even get up. 
Once again, the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And remember, you can download your very own copy of the audiobook, The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you can find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, www.epicorderofthe7.com. And I'm Denny Brownlee. Thank you for listening, and join us next time on the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast. Have a grandee! A bientôt, mes amis! Huzzah! And ta-ta! And always remember, you are loved and you are able.